You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet, yours truly. Thank you for listening and tuning in. Today, it is May 25th, 2021, a Tuesday morning, episode 62 of season three, episode 127 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. We're going to dovetail off the subject of yesterday's podcast, in which I talked about this epidemic of suicidal children. I don't know if it's an epidemic, but we're throwing around words like pandemic and epidemic willy-nilly here lately, so why not call it an epidemic? But it's a problem, right? Gone are the days when we could just say this is a problem and skip the hyperbole, and it was enough. People are desensitized, and so they have to have big adjectives, big terms. Everything's got to be the end of the world in order to get people's attention, in order to break through their stupor, because they are, what? Desensitized. Desensitized to concerns and joys, and they're just numb, comfortably numb, unfortunately. But I want to dovetail off the subject from yesterday regarding suicidal children, and I want to talk a little bit more about men and husbands and fathers in particular, and how do we relate to our ambition, our aspirations? How do we keep those in check and keep those from running away with us and running away with our emotions? How do we keep ourselves from getting swept up in our achievements or in setbacks? I talked with an old friend of mine yesterday on my way home from work, and I won't say his name, but he knows who he is if he's listening. And we were talking about him applying for other jobs other than the one he has right now. And he said he just is so unhappy where he's at right now. He just doesn't feel satisfaction. He doesn't feel like he's appreciated. He doesn't feel like he's trying to go above and beyond and get things done at a high level and a high attention to detail. He doesn't feel like his trying to do excellent work is really valued because there's a guy that cuts corners and doesn't really try at all. And that guy gets by with it. And does anybody even notice when he goes above and beyond to pick up the slack or to get things up to snuff. And he's telling me all this. He's talking about applying for different jobs and trying something else. And he's going to break into becoming a real estate agent. He's going to go to school for that and get training and get a license and just start out, right? Start out just a little bit and build it up and up and up and up. He's only getting 40 hours at work. So he's got some extra time in his week to pursue that. And then maybe at a certain point, it becomes something that he can do full-time, and then he transitions over, and he becomes full-time real estate. But he's 
telling me all this, and it reminded me of so many conversations I've had with friends over the years, so many conversations I've had with myself over the years. I remember I reached a certain point when I was at ConocoPhillips, four and a half years in, and I have people left and right telling me that it's a shame they haven't promoted me yet. Why haven't they promoted you yet? Why are you still just an operator? Because they recognized I had a skill set that not most of the folks there had. I had a better education. I'd actually been to college, and I was well-spoken and well-organized, and I was a go-getter, and I had high attention to detail, and I was into process improvement, and all that, all that. But yet, I didn't get promoted because other people who had an in with the right foreman, the right supervisor, had a special relationship because they were kiss-ups or buddies, drinking buddies, bar buddies. They got the promotions and I got passed over for promotion. I wasn't the only one that could have used a promotion and deserved it, I think. Merited it, had dressed for the job that we wanted, not necessarily for the job that we had, but all the same, after so long of hearing that I'm getting shafted or I'm getting passed over and wasting my potential or they're wasting, Conoco's wasting my potential, after so many times of hearing that, at a certain point, you figure, I should move on. They're right. This is a dead end. I'm being used by these people who have ambition and also a lack of scruples, and they don't mind taking advantage of my being a nice guy and trying to turn the other cheek and not being a cutthroat, and I need to go somewhere else if I want to advance because it's not happening here. So long as there are rewards to be given, to be doled out, here they are going to be doled out on the basis of family and friends discount for these certain key managers. So I moved on, and I moved on to the next position. And at ZI2, I find out that ZI has just recently acquired, they've expanded through acquisition, they've acquired a company out of Wyoming called Precision Analysis. And the Precision Analysis crew, those folks, had a certain way of doing things, a certain mindset and a certain attitude, and it was different than the mindset and the attitude and the way of doing things that was common to the ZI crowd. And of course, of course, the precision analysis folks thought that their way of doing things was better, but it didn't stop there. Because in addition to thinking that their way of doing things was better, they also considered everybody else that was in the organization that wasn't part of their original PA crowd, they considered them and treated them like they were second class. The core precision analysis folks who had been with that company before ZI acquired it, they were family. And everyone else was temporary. Everyone else is just passing through. Don't get comfortable and definitely don't start getting any crazy ideas about moving up because we will circle the wagons and we will box you out. And regardless of that, despite that, I ended up making my way up to regional supervisor for automation services. But then I'm at that level 
and I should have some pull. I should be able to hire my own people. I should be able to expand when we've got customers begging for additional resources from us. I should be able to hire technicians to backfill my previous position. And yet somehow I am still doing my previous position and we're turning down work for automation services and all for what? All why? Why are we doing that? I couldn't get a clear answer. And it was almost like I was treated as though I didn't deserve that answer. I didn't have the authority to ask for that information. Well, you guys are saying that we're not making enough money in our department. How much money are we actually making? Do you have those numbers? Oh, well, it'll, it'll take me a little bit to get a hold of them. Okay. Can you, though? Because I need those numbers if I'm a supervisor and I'm supposed to be making informed decisions here. I should be privy to that, right, as a supervisor? So then I finally get the numbers, and they are over a year old. And so then it's like, <laughs> you guys are giving me the runaround because you don't want to share your toys with somebody who is not part of your core original precision analysis group, that family. This is nepotism. This is self-serving. This is you putting your click before the interests of the company. By the time I actually got my way <clears throat> and I got them to sign off on helping me hire additional people, it was too late. It had been such a slog and such a battle and such a runaround and so much nonsense that I was over it. I was over it. And, you know, it's crazy. I was being paid salary all of a sudden, but I was still doing all of the hourly work that I had been doing before, plus supervisor responsibilities. And I complained about this. I complained about this. I complained about this because that's not legal, actually. And it's not moral. It's not right. Uh, this is one of those cases where the legality of it and the morality of it are actually in step, but I'm having to travel every week and we don't have enough money to pay the bills and I'm never home with my family and I'm getting the runaround and I'm getting all this stress at work and then I'm bringing it home and I figured, what's the point? Why am I, why am I doing this? This is a means to an end. This job, this career is a means to the end of providing for my family and I don't have to take this and my family doesn't have to take this. So at a certain point I say, deuces. And my buddy and another coworker of ours ended up having a good relationship with one of our customers and we bounced. Bounced for significantly more money actually and significantly less stress and less contention. Not no stress, not no contention, but I didn't have to take that. My family didn't have to take that. And so I got out of there at the first opportunity. I actually had a, a phone call with Evan West and I got an apology when I left ZI. I know for some people, if they're just browsing around recruiters and managers and coworkers and people like that, they browse around over to my LinkedIn profile and they see that I was regional supervisor for all of four months and they probably think to themselves, ooh, well, yeah, I guess he wasn't cut out for that, right? Au contraire, mes amis. Let me tell you something. When I left, 
It was not because I didn't have what it took to do the job. It was because I had an entrenched group, an in-group, a clique that it didn't care, that didn't care how valid my plan was. They didn't care how much money could be made. In fact, the more great, the more promising, the more exciting what it was we had going on in the automation department, that line of business was, the more they felt the need to throw things at me to try and take that shine off because it was distracting from what they had going on. They had to slow it down, take the momentum out of our stride, take the bounce out of our stride. Evan West, our vice president of operations, he called me the day that I left, my last day at Zedi, and he apologized. He was a, and still is, to my knowledge, a really sharp guy. I liked Evan West a lot. I would have enjoyed working with him more. I think we had a mutual respect and understanding, and he apologized because he hadn't gotten things straightened out quick enough, and that was on him. And thanks for hanging in there as long as I did, and good luck. And after I left, it was maybe a year later, Emerson. Emerson, the big, big, big company, Emerson purchased ZEI's SCADA services and automation services departments. Those were the two departments that I was working in, and I'm not saying that they purchased those two because I was working in them, but I helped. I got together with supervisors and the people that were making the decisions on that line of business, and I helped to figure out a good business model, a good business plan. Here's how you do this. Here's the mindset in which to do this. And I didn't leave because I lacked imagination or lacked an ability to get things done. I left because it's a means to an end, and I care more about my family than I do about my title. My title is a means to the end. I turned down a position as foreman at Incana when I took this job with Sterling Energy because I cared more about my family than I do about my title. But even all of that said, all of that said, I can relate to the men who say, I feel frustrated and I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere and what am I doing, right? Am I wasting my potential? Am I wasting my energies? Am I wasting my life here? And am I trying too hard? Am I trying hard at things that are not of value to other people? They might be good to do, but nobody else seems to care or notice. And so why bother? I always kick against that at the end of the day. Sometimes I'm tempted to throw my hands up and say, well, nobody else seems to care about this. So I'm just going to not care about it either. But I can't. I can't. It's just not in me. It's not in me to do that. Before I throw in the towel on something that's worth doing that other people around me don't see the value in, I am more likely to just say deuces and look for somewhere else to be where the people do see the value in that, where the 
coworkers and my teammates and my stakeholders see the value in that. But I don't know. At a certain point, you wonder if your instincts go sour because you've had some bad experiences. You've had some bad experiences with people that were unscrupulous, that were abusive, that were selfish, that were dishonest, who were maneuvering all the time. That's another pet peeve of mine. I really don't like when people try their best to present well in a meeting, and then as soon as the meeting is over and the people they're trying to impress have left the room, they are worthless. They go from being saccharine sweet and extra polite and very well-spoken and having all the answers for all the questions to either staring at their phone and ignoring you or being rude and short off. I don't like that. I don't like that two-faced way of relating. I also don't like the hypercritical good old boys club. I don't get along with good old boys so great, typically. I get along well with competent people, not people who have got to have Jim Bob and Bubba Joe and 20 other guys from their entire work history around them covering for their mistakes and lying for them in order to keep their job. I don't get along with folks like that so great. I don't like that. And it's not in me to back down when Bubba Joe and Billy Jim and their 20 friends think that I'm making them look bad or I'm being too honest or I pose a threat. I don't tend to back down from that. I might leave when I'm good and ready, but I feel for the folks right now who have gotten through COVID, and I just saw this LinkedIn piece yesterday talking about how up to 25% of the workforce here in America has reported in a recent poll that they are considering changing jobs on the other end of this pandemic, which I guess is over, right? It's over. LinkedIn said it in passing. It's like, oh, that seems like that's big news, right? Was it ever really a pandemic? I don't think so. It was a convenient lever. It was a good old boys club, actually, truly. It was a good old boys club of guys that are part of this media echo chamber and these Ivy League schools. They went to the right schools and they're beautiful people that go to all the best parties, that live in the nicest houses, that drive the nicest cars, fastest cars. And they lie to cover each other's butts. And they're not concerned so much, first and foremost, about competence as they are with their bottom line and making sure that their team wins at the end of the day. But the pandemic is over, apparently. That's what it means when the CDC starts sending mixed messages, getting out ahead of what Joe Biden wanted people to think and do just yet. Drop the masks. Oh, did I say that? <gasps> oh, no. Trust the experts. I guess that means you have to drop the mask. No. Hmm. Simon says. Dr. Fauci says. But if 25% of the people in this country are considering changing jobs, there's going to be a lot of musical chairs. And that might just be the 25% of the country that was not part of the good old boys club. I don't know. They saw... 
in a crisis, how people respond. And there's a lot of ways that people respond in a crisis. You know, we had a bit of a panicked moment here the other night, a couple of nights ago. My wife and I are sitting down in my office. All the kids have been sent to bed and the house is quiet and my wife is reading. She's catching up on school reading and I'm sitting here and I'm reading something, some news article on my computer or whatever. And all of a sudden we hear, he's going to die, he's going to die, John's going to die. Screamed, bloody murder. What in the world? And then we hear this stampede up the stairs from the basement and up the stairs to the second floor where my office is. All the boys are in the basement. Here they come. He's choking, he's choking, John's going to die. And I won't tell you which of my children was having a freak out, but he was absolutely freaking out. So here comes John in Eli's arms. And we get a hold of him. We take John from Eli. And he's fine. He looks freaked out. Like, what are you guys going on about? <laughs> like the old man from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Bring out your dead. I feel happy. I feel happy. You'll be stone cold in a minute. Um, Not quite like that. Not exactly like that. But... John was fine. He was just coughing, right? He was coughing, and Solomon had been tickling him. And before that, he had had a little Nerf rival ball that he was playing with. And so they thought when he was choking that he had got that Nerf rival ball stuck in his throat. So then they're panicking. They're freaking out. They bring him up, and he's fine. He doesn't have a Nerf rival ball stuck in his throat. He's fine, okay? But now let's talk about this. And I I posed the question. I said, let's suppose you're an EMT and you are bringing a car accident victim into the emergency room. I'll give you a couple scenarios you can choose from. Do you A, bring them in screaming, bloody murder, he's going to die, he's going to die, John's going to die, or, or, Do you keep calm so as to not add to the chaos of the moment? Okay, I'll give it away. I'll help you out on this one. It's the latter, right? You keep keep calm, stay calm. Don't panic, don't freak out. So good learning opportunity there. John's fine, everybody's fine. But this pandemic showed a lot of people's true colors. Who are we when we think that there's an existential threat? Who are we? When the world is supposedly coming to an end, who are we when the experts, so-called, tell us it's too dangerous to let us live our lives? Who are we when our leaders wring their hands and they think first about protecting their position and only secondarily about leading us according to good principles? Who are we when the good old boys club circles the wagons And they're not worried, but all of a sudden they start talking maliciously about your job performance. Because if one of us has got to go, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be Billy Jim. It's not going to be Jim Bob or Bubba Joe. It's going to be you. Who are we when things get 
rough? Who are we when things calm down again? Do we work on that? Do we work on improving our response? Or do we settle into a comfortably numb existence? Now, I started this episode out talking about how we as men, specifically, especially breadwinners, husbands, fathers, how we can insulate ourselves and our families a little bit from the highs and the lows of work life. And I'll confess, I was hoping I would have it figured out by the end of this episode. And I don't know that I do have it figured out. I want to be better at that. I want to be better at not bringing work home. But it's difficult because sometimes you go through things at work and it colors your perspective on your situations at home. Your kid tells you about something that's going on that they're working on. And you, before you know it, without being able to help it, start giving them an analogy from work. And then you've got to back up and you've got to unpack and define your terms and explain, okay, well, this is what this, this, and this, and this, and this. And when I'm in this situation, here's how I respond. And that seems to work out pretty well in my experience. And You can't help it, right? But there ought to be a buffer. And maybe just maybe the buffer is we work for God, not for men. We work as unto the Lord, not for men. We're not to be people pleasers. And that means when people are pleased, it doesn't divert us. It doesn't get us conceited. We don't put our hope in that. Beware when men speak well of you. We don't trust ourselves to men. Jesus didn't trust himself to men because he knew what was in the heart of man. Nobody needed to inform or instruct Jesus on the nature of man. He knew what was in the heart of man. Also, when people are upset, when they're vicious, when they're slanderous, when they're abusive, when they're persecuting you, when they're treating you unjustly, you're suffering unjustly despite doing what is good, when they say all manner of evil about you, when they make themselves your enemy, when they try to dominate and destroy marginalize you and they try to set you up for failure like Daniel like Daniel being thrown into the lion's den like Joseph being falsely accused or sold into slavery or thrown into prison if you are trusting to God and I don't I don't want to sound like I'm giving you this Caleb bumper sticker Christianity answer here but if you trust yourself to God that does help to buffer against those highs and lows. However well these people are speaking of me, I got to stay on task. I got to stay on mission. I don't want to let their high opinion of me temporarily get things twisted to where all of a sudden I am looking to the crowd for guidance because I become addicted to their high opinion. Then I stop listening to God and what God's will is for my life. And what does his word say? What is the Holy Spirit convicting me of, leading and guiding me in? I also don't get destabilized and discouraged when people are critical, when they're disrespectful, when they're unpleasant, when they're rude, when they're severe, when they are unfair, when they're selfish, when they're thinking first in every project about what's in it for them, or how can they get by with doing as little as possible, or how can they put the responsibility or the blame on somebody else? How can they take credit for things that they didn't do? 
How can they avoid responsibility for things that they did do? When we trust in God, we don't have to maybe worry so much about that as we would if we're thinking of things in purely human terms only. Now I say that and I'm, I'm thinking out loud here. That sounds reasonable. That sounds correct. That doesn't mean I do it very well. I'm not very good at that sometimes. And you can pray for me. I want to get better at that, at remembering who do I work for. And I don't mean ConocoPhillips or Zedi or Encana or Sterling Energy. I mean, who do I work for? Who was I created by? The same thing I was talking about yesterday on the podcast, A Nation of Suicidal Children, episode 61 of season three, episode 126 of this podcast put things in perspective by remembering that we are creatures and we have a creator and that's good advice. Am I listening to my own good advice? It should be, should be men very often when they get in their forties or closer to their forties, men, especially from a career standpoint question, am I wasting my life here? Is this a sign that I missed the boat? I'm frustrated. Things are not quite what I was imagining they would be. And I just told my boys last night that when I was a kid, when I was their age, I thought I was going to work for the Lego company. I wanted to work for the Lego company, or I wanted to be a veterinarian, or I wanted to be an archaeologist, or what have you. In my late teens, early 20s, kind of wanted to be a writer or a debater, but I didn't know what I wanted to be. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Where am I going, right? Where's all of this going? I podcast, I write, I blog, I volunteer, I raise my children, I read the news, I pay attention. And as a man, I want to think that I'm building something that is enduring, that's quality workmanship. It can be frustrating sometimes when the things you're building up are simultaneously breaking down or when events, people, circumstances, processes outside of your direct control are breaking down what you're trying to build up as you're trying to build it up. But what does the scripture say? Psalm 127. We'll just read the whole thing. I'll leave you with that. Unless Yahweh builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless Yahweh watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from Yahweh, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. It breaks my heart when I see some men, or even when I feel this feeling, this temptation, which is common to man, welling up that we don't have time for children because we're busy building our career. We're busy building our capabilities out. It's fine. Sometimes children need boundaries. They need to be told hold your horses, like time out. Daddy's working on something right now. 
I will come find you in a minute. We can look at that. We can talk about that. We can figure that out. Right now, I need to finish this email. I need to finish checking on this. I need to finish doing what I'm doing right now. I'll be with you in a minute. But it would be a mistake to think that our career is the end goal and our children are a distraction if we don't get to where we were thinking we should have gotten in our career because we had children, because we were busy raising our children. It would be a mistake to think that our career is actually the end goal. No, the end goal is to produce godly offspring, to be faithful to your wife. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Why do you build the house? Are you building it because you're filling it with children and you need room? Are you building a house because you need a base of operations in which to serve the Lord, in which to honor the Lord? Or are you building a house so that you can serve yourself, so that you can build yourself up and puff yourself up and look really impressive? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless Yahweh watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So all this anxiety, all this fear and trepidation, all of this worry, all of this wondering and wringing of the hands of, am I getting anywhere? Is this worthwhile? Is this a good thing that I'm doing? The Lord sees. In fact, in the ideal scenario, according to Jesus, we give and we pray and we do good works in secret to the point that our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing. Now, you can go too far on that. From a career standpoint, you have to show your work. People need to know what you're doing. It can't all be secret. Jesus says, let your light so shine before all men. Do good works. I think it behooves us to consider what are we working for? And not because we shouldn't be working for something, not because there's no merit in what we're working for, but because we need to have our priorities straight. We need to have a right understanding of motives, of what is fueling this engine. Is it ambition? Is it materialism? Is this us trying to prove that we have value because we can't imagine having value without having that big flashy title that so-and-so has. Or we can't imagine having value when people talk down to us because we don't have the advanced degree that they have. We don't feel like we have value until we're able to buy that new sports car that so-and-so just bought, but they're on their second marriage and they work all the time and they have half as many, a third as many children as you do, which is better. You buy that sports car that you're never going to get to drive because you're always working or fill your house up with children because children are a heritage from Yahweh, according to Psalm 127.3. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. We had children young. Maybe I didn't get as far in my career as I might have otherwise, but that's all right. It is what it is. So be it. God willing, we live and do this or that. That's what James says. I'm thankful that I have a wife and that I have children. I pray that God would continue to grow me, to be more like his son, so that I'm not anxious about anything. I'm not anxious when people speak well of me. I'm not anxious when people speak poorly of me. I just do what the Lord 
has commanded. I try to be faithful, try to put my trust in him more and more completely and live that out in a practical way, in a way that makes it evident that I do believe these things. I don't get impatient or severe. I don't repay evil for evil. I'm not anxious all the time, but I trust in the Lord. So I got to leave it there. Speaking of day jobs, I should go to mine. Let me know what you think. Do you struggle with this too? What has helped you in your struggle with this? I'd like to hear it. I could benefit from it. I'll be sure to share that with the audience as well. But for right now, that's all I got. As always, thank you for listening. Till next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.